0: You are listening to the Mary Jane Society Podcast, brought to you by Studio 420, a cannabis-friendly marketing agency. I'm your host, Pam Schmiel, Marketing Director for Studio 420. You may have heard about the North American Weed Tour put on by the marketing agency Respect My Region. I interviewed its co-founder, Mitch Pfeiffer, to find out how they assembled a network of judges to review hundreds of products across the country to help consumers connect with brands. Respect My Region has worked with clients in both the music and cannabis industry, including Stizzy, Jungle Boys, Cookies, Weed Maps, Xbits, The Cure Company, and countless others. Let's check in with Mitch to hear how things are going halfway into their north american tour
1: damn for you
0: good how you doing so where are you today
1: i I live in the seattle area
0: how did you think to do the north american weed tour what's the mission behind that
1: we're creating content on like hip-hop
0: and lifestyle and then in
1: 2016 cannabis was legalized in washington and we were just able to kind of on day one be like, well, we already know a lot of these growers, a lot of these stores that are going to transfer over. I already know a lot about cannabis and the commerce of it and the users and the varying demographics that use cannabis. Um, and we've been doing content on hip hop, which is explicit. It's difficult to market because it's, you know, there's explicit lyrics, there's drug you know, there's sex, right? There's all these different components that make it kind of unfriendly for traditional channels, much like how cannabis experiences now. So we just looked at like, hey, we can do exactly what we're doing for hip hop, for cannabis. So kind of on day one in 2016, we were able to start throwing events, taking cannabis sponsors for our events um, and producing content. And over the years, and I distanced myself from what I did previously um, in the traditional market or the legacy market, if you will, I became more comfortable even with sharing my own story and talking about those where previously I, you know, I never, I never did. So I was always trying to keep that tough because I wasn't trying to go away for a couple of years. Um, so, and so it's, it's, it's transpired pretty greatly over the years. I know that wasn't super short, but that's kind of the, the ethos of respect my region.
0: And are you doing um, uh, aside from just the regular traditional marketing stuff? Are you doing a lot of events since that seems to be your, expertise so
1: there's two parts of our business so we have a media platform and that's what most people probably know us for what our brand is associated with Um, we still partner and throw events from time to time some components of that are a lifestyle brand because we started that so we do merch you might see some like cannabis product collaborations with us in the future we're not a media company forcing that that was kind of that's what we were and we kind of morphed into a media company and then the other side of our business is a marketing agency and so much like our platform we work in music and hip art music specifically hip hop and cannabis definitely skews more towards cannabis these days um so we work in the back end of brands dispensaries delivery companies and ancillary uh, products and and you know we've been blessed to work with a lot of the top cannabis brands in the country like before covid about 85 90% of our revenue was rooted in events you know covid really took the wind out of those sales but it was you know, it's not the most unique story, but it was such a blessing because events are really hard to scale and they're very, very high risk. You know, I come from whether it's cannabis events or music events. You invest a lot of time and a lot of money into something, and at the end of the day, if you're the one throwing the event, everyone's getting paid, and your pay is not guaranteed. And you could spend months of your time and invest a lot of your own money and lose money, right? And or, or break even or hey i made two thousand in a night but wow i put two months of work in that's not very much money you know so i to scale at events you have to have uh, pretty good operations and quite a bit of capital because it's just risky you know certain events are going to fail and um fail financially um so i i never wanted to do events we just really got pigeonholed for a long time where we tried to do other things and people like well what about an event? And we're like, oh, fuck, if they're going to pay us money for it, you know, we'll do an event. And so we kind of got stuck in this trap, if you will. And COVID really opened it up for us to do finally be like, OK, you can't talk to us about events because there are no events. So here's the other stuff that we do. And since then, what we want to do, our satisfaction and, and our the impact we can have has just grown immensely um, we're still trying to figure out, you know, scaling properly, I think like any startup, but uh, we're definitely on the road we want to be rather than kind of just trapped in, you know, when the phone calls and money's on the other end, it's hard
0: sometimes to say no, you know, if it keeps calling. Are are people coming to you for being kind of influencers because you are known in a certain market like that hip hop or music world? Yeah 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 a little bit of b2c and then surprisingly quite a bit of b2b
1: um you know we obviously through our media platform like we get average right we run advertising and run content for people is, is how we monetize that so we get some obviously we do outbound sales but we all a- also get inbound sales on the agency side it's really just being support you know um we're we we're self-proclaimed you know marketing nerds like you know especially digital marketing nerds so all spectrums of content and email and seo and sms and and just copywriting even in general um so we really know that but then on the other side like i really come from the culture i've really been around which matters you know when you talk of the scale of cannabis there's certain msos and there's a lot of leaders in the space that might be mbas or phds and there's there's this there's this battle between the suits i I call like the suits and the cowboys or the legacy market and, and the business guys or the tech guys and you know a lot of them like really look down on one another right like the culture really looks down on anyone that's got an mba or whatever isn't from the space and and vice versa you see the other guys all oh, the stoners don't know it they need to know real business oh, yeah, or whatever yeah, and, like yeah. i've always felt a bridge between but i'm i'm an avid you know fan of business i write yeah. write read books i like hearing stories about how people build businesses even if it's not even in relation to any industry i know like i just genuinely enjoy that but i also I also am really from this culture. I really did the legacy stuff at a, at a, at a decent level. And then when it comes to like my curation or taste for actual products and the level that I, which I consume, you know, there's, there's very rare people in the culture that could come and check me on my, my resume of what I've done within this space specifically. Um, and so we kind of work as a bridge between the business and the culture. Maybe the business needs a little bit more culture. Or maybe the
0: culture needs more business. We kind of work as a conduit between that. and They've been doing the business for a long time, but then you have to bring it on to a professional level and to a legal level. And that's a different operating um, procedure. And,
1: I mean, and you look at a dispensary, right? Like a, your typical dispensary could learn immensely from any fucking chain store in the mall, right? Like I worked in the mm-hmm. mall younger, just their operations, their checklists, they're hiring, like they just have these processes so down and so consistent, how you can go to a store in any mall, the same store in any mall and get the similar experience, right? Like so much of cannabis can benefit from that. And a lot of people are resistant to that. But on the other side is like, the business needs the culture, like the culture matters. And because we come from that, we can talk about products, whether it's writing it or understanding how to relate to those people in ways that you know, someone, I'll never knock them, but someone that jumps over from CPG that worked in, you know, I don't know, Scope Mouthwash or something, right? Like, they have immense value to bring cannabis of their understanding of supply chain, product positioning, and CPG. But cannabis is a very unique, nuanced, you know, the cannabis consumer knows no gender, age, racial, you know, it's very wide and vast. But there is some nuance and there is this cultural Im- implications because even you look at like products like music, right? Like the average music consumer listens to whatever's on the radio, whatever's force fed is popular is what they listen to. They might not know if it's really actually good or talent, you know, or really. And, but then you have these people in the culture that really obsess over that. And that's a smaller subset of, of listeners, but that subset really helps define and push music as a commodity as a whole, like their impact is really in, you know, invaluable, whether it's noticed or not. And so I view cannabis as the same thing, obviously, as this scales out and normalizes a a regular CPG, it's not going to look like what a lot of people in the culture look like, but there is some nuance and cultural implications that are going to have just unmatched value and, and, in just understanding what this looks like and how this moves
0: there's so much authenticity and everybody throws that word around, but there's so many stories. I've never seen an industry that has so many stories behind their products. And that's where yeah. I think we're going to differentiate.
1: Yeah. And and I think even, even being in the legacy market, right? Like a lot of people definitely pigeonhole me like in the hip hop or like, Oh, you're this and that. But when I was in the legacy market, sure. I sold to a lot of people that were like me or my age, but at a certain point, a lot of my, my friend's parents, which were teachers and doctors and lawyers and real estate agents and people that would potentially come to my house and be like, I could see it on their face <laughs> if they didn't say it like, wow, I don't fit in here, you know, but it's like, nah, we all share over this, right. And your stories and your connection and your consumption habits might vary vastly from mine, but I, I you know, they say history repeats itself. And it's funny sometimes I, I think when people like pigeon you're from the culture, you think hip hop runs. It's like, no, I know I I know from the legacy market how oh, wide yeah. the consumer demographics are from what they look like, who they are, what they use, and also the transgressions of like kind of based on their lifestyle or age or occupation, kind of how they use, when they use, how they prefer to shop, the discretion, right? Like I've already seen all of that for many, many years before cannabis was legalized.
0: What is the format of well, what is the whole mission for the North American uh, Weed Tour? What, how did that start?
1: Yeah, so so I'll, I'll start. You know, selfishly, like for what we want out of it, right? There, there's a bigger mission than that. But for us, it's it's literally was designed to growth hack, uh, building relationships. Um, we we started. This is our second year in the North American Weed Tour, but this is the the next step in the evolution, mm-hmm. and we have further evolutions already mapped out from the west coast weed tour which we did three years in a row and that had the first iteration of that had events the first and second had uh, events baked into it and then COVID happened and we did it more as a content campaign less focused on events as well and that kind of has graduated to where we are now but we're going to go celebrate and throw events and we're going to go review and try products in every state put out some best of list in each state and then the entire west coast not taking state borders in and not necessarily crown a cha- a champion of who grows the best weed, but just really celebrating and looking at all of the great weed that we have on the West Coast. And we knew at that point, you know, there was only a few other states legalized. We knew everybody was going to look at the West Coast. And so we knew, hey, this is going to start here, but we're going to grow from here. And, you know, thankfully we're from here, but also thankfully people are going to be, what we build here will have value that will transfer over. And so moving into the North American Weed Tour, you know legalization's mm-hmm. of spreading like wildfire right now and um, it's it's about it's less about finding the best cuz admittedly a lot of people in Illinois will not put up their flower to compete with the best on the <laughs> west coast as they shouldn't as well um, but a lot of them know that and uh, so it's it's about finding the best in legal cannabis across the country but it's also exploring the culture and the consumer experience like you know I live in Washington we don't have Uh, you you know everything's packaged goods you can't open anything in the store we also don't have delivery down south in Oregon they still have a deli style where they literally open big chars jars and usually use like chopsticks to show you what you want before you buy you go into California it's more finished goods but they have delivery and home grow and so the consumer experience and the culture you know is going to differ geographically and regulatory wise so it's about looking at that, celebrating it and really just kind of connecting the dots because very few people in cannabis are, are are content with just being in their market. Everybody's looking to grow along with the industry growing.
0: But so basically you're focusing on the um the uh legacy uh products that are that are coming out and trying to highlight those.
1: Well honestly anything so when I when I say we're looking for the best I always tell people there's like I I put those into two buckets. And, you know, back, I think back to the start, like there's there's the the best is what us that are the real connoisseurs, the real high level consumers that really have a hot, you know, a developed palate for cannabis and consume a lot of it uh, or from the culture. There's a lot of things that we will generally agree on as the best. Right. Like you ask top five, well, we're talking about rappers, well, we're talking about the greatest basketball player of all time. We're never all going to generally agree on like, hey, this is the undisputed number one number yeah. two, number three, you know, forever. We'll argue that stuff until the end of time. But if enough people are really have an understanding a palette and are from the culture, and we talk about what are the best, we might be able to come up with 10 to 20 names that all would kind of mutually, Hey, I would, you know, based on your top five, I would, I would respect your palette or your taste based on who, who you pick. And so it's like a little bit of exploring those ones that we all kind of would, interchangeably hold as the best which is super subjective and then also what is the most popular because those subsets don't always and this isn't just in cannabis any you know tequila tacos whatever who makes the absolute best burger and who is the most popular burger you know those maybe they cross over sometimes but they don't always so it's kind of looking at both because they both have value and the culture again, there's in this other fight of like the culture versus the average consumer, right? Like I am a high level, you could give me some weed. And if it's not up to my standard or not something I like, even if I didn't, you know, and you gave it to me, I'd be like, I don't want this. I'm sorry. I just, no disrespect. I have a certain level of palate that I just, am not going to sacrifice when it comes to cannabis, maybe sneakers or something else, but not cannabis. But, you know, there's a lot of products that are popular out there And just because I have that high level of palate, I can't be like, ah, don't smoke that or don't use that. It's trash. It's like, obviously there's a huge consumer demographic for it. So I think both of them deserve respect and attention to talk about and showcase to people, um, you know, unbiasedly.
0: Yeah. So do you have some sort of panel or criteria when I'm sure people are feeding you? I've seen you posting, hey, do you know any products that, you know, you want to recommend? Are you... I I mean, just hearing you talk about that, I would love to hear a panel of connoisseurs, people who have been smoking for a long time and who also have access to really good stuff and really good strains, not like you're saying kind of in the Midwest or, you know, where it's not really been grown or or known. So how are you guys presenting it that way? Like a breakdown, like a panel? Um, Uh, Yeah. So, so we do a
1: little bit of that, but it's more for what, yeah for more what we do because we review so many products in different markets and it's difficult you know if i go out to massachusetts i'm not trying to buy like six of everything to bring it back here and then ship some to somebody in california you know and and uh you know what we're doing is already federally illegal. i'm trying to commit less uh federally illegal crimes you know um um, but so it's more so individual people reviewing each product sometimes if, if we really hype something up we'll make sure we get something to you know, myself or Joey both tries it so we can kind of get both of our opinions on it. You know, we might have some nuanced differences in terms of what we prefer, flavor profile wise, you know, certain things he might be like, oh, it's amazing. And, I'm, you know, it's not that it's not good. I just don't like it because I don't like that flavor or that sauce or whatever, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so it's usually just a, a singular person reviewing it, but we, we aim to review it unbiasedly in regards to the consumer it's for, right? Like if I'm reviewing... And we're not going to review, you know, a $6 ounce or something that's complete trash. But, but you know, if I'm going to review a mid-level product, I'm not going to review that in comparison to the top of the top cream of the crop that costs twice as much, right? And is handcraft, you know, craft-like. So it has to be a little bit of unbiased reviewing it, reviewing it for the person it's intended to. But we also look at each product on across 10 categories on a 10-point scale, Um It's like presentation, you know, smell, taste, flavor, and obviously that might an edible might vary different from how we review flour because there's some different components. Um, But honestly, it's it's I like the way, and I have to give credit to Joey, and and I know he sought guidance from a couple other people of how he developed the categories of ranking. But um, it's really set up to, you know, I don't know, I don't think ever any flour has ever received a perfect score because it's very rare. That something is going to be packaged so beautifully, the texture is awesome, the smell is awesome, the taste is awesome, the high is all like you're not going to get 10 out of 10 on all those categories. It's very even if you know the best growers, they always have strains like this is the looker, this is the smoker, but it looks like shit. This is the one that smells crazy, but the high is not that great, right? Like it's very rare to get a perfect score in every category on flower, which I like because then it allows us to celebrate. A lot of things can score high, but for different reasons. Kind of pushing why it it scores that way.
0: What's just? I'm curious. What your preference is? You know, kind of basically, like when you're looking for something, like you're just saying, "Oh, I don't like that smell." I don't. What 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 is your perfect uh, profile for? A yeah. flower? So I, I mean, I'm I'm like
1: first of all, like just the thing. I'm matter mode. Like taste, taste, and that's when we review flower. Usually, if you, if you ever watch our videos, we usually review the taste out of 10, and then we'll give a full score out of 100, because I I just believe any connoisseur, the taste is by far just the most important, you know, that's what we're we're smoking it to enjoy the way it tastes, Um, so taste, smell, and then probably the way it looks, there's plenty of stuff that does not look great, but it's like, oh my god, the smell and taste on this is amazing, if you bring that look up to where it also is like visually attractive, then it's like the holy trinity, right, Um, yeah, when it it comes to strains, I, I really like, uh, just like traditional, like OG cushes, like a musky cushy, just oh, like cush. I really like that. And then I like like gelatos, which is uh, the the parent the, the the parental lineage that gives gelatos a lot of the look and smell we like is the sunset sherb. So any anything that's like heavy leaning, like a gelato or a gelato cross or a runtz or something with a sherb. A strong sherb, you know, flavor smell profile on it is something I just I like. If Kush and Sherb are involved in it, I likely and if you mix those two together, it's probably and it's a good thing. I'm probably going to love it. Um, um, adversely, like Jack Herrera is like one of the most infamous strains of all. I really strongly dislike that that tert profile. It's very popular. Even on our team, I'm like the one outlier, and it's not no disrespect. Mm-hmm. You know, Jack is was yeah. a legend, and the strain is you know legendary for a reason. I just, that lemony, a lemon haze, a super silver haze, a Jack Herrera, I just really do not care for that, that mm. smell or that flavor. I really do not. It could be the best award-winning cut. People could be drooling sure. over it. You give it to me, and I'm like, I don't even want to smoke this, man. I just I just don't enjoy it
0: sound like a connoisseur to me.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm a nerd, I'm for sure. I'm
0: a nerd. Okay. And I'm... I think that, I mean, that's where we're going. Honestly, people want to hear that, that expertise. I think it's, it's really interesting. So I'm wondering, what is the format, um, if you're there, like, how are you doing this? What different formats are you doing to meet all these different people in the North American weed tour?
1: Yeah. So so you know, my business partners in LA. I'm in Washington. And we also have some other reviewers. Some of them are part of uh other media publications. Some of them are on our team. So they might those might be in California. They might be, and we have some influencers as well. So they might be in California, Washington, but we also have some people in the in New Jersey, Illinois, um Florida, I believe. I'm not sure all the ones off the top of my head. So we do have people kind of actively reviewing things the podcast and featuring people obviously we can do remotely like we're doing now so we're also able to kind of explore the country you know again from the the, you know seat in our own house Um, and then there is the travel component where you know the campaign spans four months and so you know like my business partner went to a music festival that we covered last weekend in Canada Um, so while he was in there he went and stopped by a bunch of dispensaries bought a bunch of product reviewed it um I was just in Portland touring like the Wild Gummies facility a week ago and then I also toured like a Grow and a pre-roll machine company on the way back just you know just took a pretty long day trip and stopped at like three or four dispensaries bought a bunch of product uh that I, that I'm still kind of chunking through for reviews and then uh we will be on the road for like M, you know we'll be at MJ Bizcon we have a booth at MJ Unpacked and both of those are in Vegas I'll be at Boston Cannabis week um I th- we'll be at the Hall of Flowers in Santa Rosa. I think we're going to be at Hall of Flowers in Toronto. And so we'll as we go to these events, we'll make sure that we at least go to dispensaries, buy products and review it. And also like when we're in Massachusetts, we'll be out there for a week and we'll, you know, we're going to drive around the whole state, go visit a bunch of facilities and and in more than just shop and review products, we'll go visit facilities and kind of in-depth learn. We'll do some I don't know if we'll do as many podcasts while we're out there, but that'll obviously kind of lay the groundwork to then do podcasts with someone after we toured their facility uh, or or something like that. So um, there is, it's a content campaign, but there's still quite a bit of trap physical travel baked into it.
0: And you're specifically or kind of mostly looking for those legacy people? Re- really anyone, like I said, really, really, really anyone, you know, we're looking to work with uh, dispensaries.
1: And the way we work with dispensaries is kind of using them like, hey, you guys as a dispensary, as bud tenders, what are your top 10 products? And again, top in most popular and best, right? And so we'll review those products, but also review it from, hey, we shopped at this store and their bud tenders or how they guided us was uncovering these as their top products. This is their their thoughts on the culture and the market and the, the consumer and the maturation of that industry, Um so it's, it's covering all sides of the spectrum, whether they're, you know, legacy or, or new to the industry, whether they're, you know, that mid-level shelf price that, that you know, my friends that are, you know, connoisseurs like me would not touch and laugh at calling mids, or it's that high-end craft stuff that everybody drools over. You know, we definitely look at, at all of them, and not just flour, too. We do edibles and dabs and concentrates. It definitely leans more towards Flower, because if also if you look at the recreational market, flowers the leadest selling category, you know, product in that category. Um, so that's so we tend to look at that the most, but it's not all we look at, and it's not always just the top craft. It is a little bit of everything.
0: Oh yeah, oh, I'm going to definitely now that I'm learning all about what you're doing, I definitely want to follow you, and also just as a marketer, I just love to hear about you know the different states or the different areas and the different cultures and the different you know, consumer profiles and talking to these bud tenders. I mean, that's all people are talking about. If you want to get your product on the shelf is you got to get to these guys. So I I, I feel bad for every every bud
1: tender I deal with. I'm always like, even if I'm just shopping, I'm like, I am apologize. I'm going to, I'm going to, what's the best, what's the most popular, what are people and most of them love it, you know, and they're like, Oh, someone's not in here. That's just like, what's cheap and high THC. And like, but I, I just, yeah, even, even in my home market, you know, the shop down my street, I shop at, I I still, every time I'm in there, even though I probably personally know the owners of the majority of the brands in the store and the owner of the store itself, I'm still in there just haggling their bud tenders. And then I'll even let the, Hey, your bud tender did a really good job. Like Uh. let me bother them. Or, you know, in another way that I I shop just as it, whether I'm shopping for business or personally, you know, I usually go in, I'm usually gonna buy two eighths of something that I pick and want. And then I usually try to let the bud tender truly like, here's the two things I picked out after I annoyed you and asked you a bunch of questions and made you show me a bunch of stuff. Here's the two (laughs) things I pick out now based on my taste, recommend me something that you that I don't really know of. Like put me onto something I don't know about. And that's how I personally, if a store can put me onto something that I would not technically buy or had no interest in, but I was like, all right, I'll take, I'll take your word for it. And I go home and I'm like wow, that's impressive. Then I like, I'm like, dang, I love that store, man. I love that store.
0: Well, I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, the different entrepreneurs that you're meeting in this space, but before that, it's like, yeah, what kind of products across the country that you're, are you seeing different uh, new innovation in the, the delivery methods or what's coming up besides flour? I mean, in gummies, I know we know it's flour gummies. Yeah. I mean, I really like like the hash rosin gummies.
1: Um, they're going to cost a little bit more. Like most gummies are just made with distillate. And, you know, the the the, the negative slang term for distillate is hot dog water. Um, and, uh, and it's not saying distillate is bad, right? I like I, think, yeah, there's plenty of products I consume that have distillate in it, right? I'm not knocking it. But hash rosin is like just the way that they make it. If you're making distillate, you can kind of throw whatever you want. And you're stripping just the THC out of it. Hash rosin is a little bit, it's like, really if you ever watch how it's made it's like pure plant there's no extracts you know i'm not a big dabber i'm a big flower guy but rosin when you get some good rosin it just literally smells just like the flower. like that's what got me into dabbing was uncovering rosin and so it also has when you when you make distillate, you strip a lot of the cannabinoids and, and, and chemical components other than thc rosin has all that good stuff in it so 100 milligram hash rosin gummy versus or a 10 milligram versus a 10 milligram distillate gummy it's not necessarily going to get you higher, but it's going to have like a more
0: full effect, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen that on the East Coast. A hash rosin
1: gummy. It's, it's honestly, like, so I'm in Washington. Like it's 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 pretty big in Cali. It's slowly like I don't know why us in Washington, we're, we're kind of late. I feel like Oregon's kind of even beating us to the punch. So it's yeah. kind of once a market matures and this is what I've seen, you know, once a, a market goes legal, like dissolute is the most popular vape cartridge. Then pretty soon people start putting live resin out. The moment someone can do live resin at scale where the price gets closer to dissolute, a lot of the market graduates to to live resin because it's a better product. It's going to taste better. Well, it depends on the consumer, but I think most people would generally agree that it's a better product. And then Rosin's again, it's a little bit different, but it's more expensive. And potentially, a lot of people would say it's a better product than live resin. So you kind of go to like your regular gummies, and then you might see some live resin gummies, and then you might see rosin gummies. And they might be priced differently, because it's just the margins and the cost. But as a market matures, you see more products like that. So the rosin like edibles and gummies are something I really like. Um, I really like the high dose uh, beverages, which is like when I went to Massachusetts, like, you know, everything's like five milligram or two milligram limit, That's which so is,
0: I, know. I don't, terrible.
1: yeah, I'm, I'm taking personally, you know, 20 to hundred milligrams of an edible. When I consume edibles, I don't want to drink 10 sodas. I don't drink soda. You know, I don't even drink seltzer water. So like, I like to have, um, like in Oregon, you can get like tinctures on the legal market, like 400 milligrams. I'm not drinking the whole 400 milligrams but I can add that to a beverage and get my 40 milligrams in a much smaller, you know, dose. So I'm, I'm a fan of that. And then along with that, the nano emulsification, which is thankfully like, you know, in Washington, I learned about it early when like one person was doing it. Now all these new States are coming online, like at day one, they have it, but it's taking a beverage or an edible, that's quick to activation, which is much better, right? Than I'm going to take edible and then sit and wait for two hours. You know, you have to really be committed to like, well, I don't have, you know, anything to do over the next hour and a half. And then once it kicks in, I don't have, you know, so it's a little bit more like I want to take it and and get the effects sooner. Um, And then other trends, you know, I see in Washington right now or the Pacific Northwest or we're coming out and economically it might change, but the the top shelf flower is doing really well. In Washington, like a lot of consumers, our, our pricing structure here is a little bit different, a little more affordable than other markets for top shelf flour, but I'm really surprised at how much the top shelf flour moves. Obviously, high THC, low price is going to be the, the main meat and potatoes of the volume, but I'm really surprised at at the palette of people out here that are willing to pay more for good weed. Mm-hmm. Um, because I believe everyone should, I should believe you should buy less weed and just buy better weed. I I personally came to that journey early on in my life where I had some really good weed and was like, fuck now, now I can't, you know, there goes smoking six blunts a day. I got to figure out how to just do one. Cause it's, I'm not, I'm not going back. I I'm not going back in quality, yeah. um, but, but seeing that. And then also, I don't know if it's just in Washington, but, uh, What I'm seeing in Washington specifically is also the top shelf consumer doesn't care about THC percentage and the mid shelf is more where the and that's kind of across the country, you would call them THC chasers, um, which leads to fake test results and growers having stuff they really like but it doesn't test high enough so the market will reject it even if it's a great product. Yeah. um anyone in the industry will say thc percentage doesn't matter yet the consumer cares but i noticed in washington your high-end consumer you'll see a lot of stuff selling out that's only testing at 17 which is just when you drop the price down to the cheaper products it would it wouldn't even move and it's a far superior product but the the upper echelon consumer is is starting to understand like yeah that shit doesn't matter
0: Oh, well, I guess it's all the probably good terpenes and things that were kept in there that make it the, give it the flavor or the experience that you're looking for. What about the um, pre-roll, infused pre-rolls, because that's a very popular selling product as well. I think almost right above gummies, from what I've heard, people are trying different things and having different problems with, you know, the rosin and it's dripping and it's, you know labor intensive to make are you what are you seeing out there for for that because I know people are trying all different things
1: yeah yeah I'm seeing you know a lot of people are starting to make like hash and mix it in with flour grind up flour and mix in hash that way you have an infused pre-roll that burns a lot better because that's that's the issue I I I personally I do not buy I do receive them and may review them pre-rolls from companies but I never, as a consumer, I will never buy a pre-roll. I, 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 I like, I enjoy rolling as much as I do smoking. I do, I'm not ignorant enough to know that's not the majority of the market. The pre-roll category, as you said, is a massive market. There's a lot of yeah. people that can't roll. There's a lot of people that just wanna walk outside the store and spark it up on the street and all due respect to all of them. Um, I, I personally think the pre-roll market, like in, I don't ever buy them, but even in reviewing them, I feel like the failure rate in terms of the consistencies on the burn, it being too loose or plugging up and not getting a good hit. I just, I'll get, I'll get them. And I actually, it's funny. I I didn't like the term dog walker, but when I walk my oh. dog on might, I might actually opt for a quick pre-roll and I'm always, always, I'm on the phone when I'm walking my dog and I'm always asking. Of people course. <laughs> I'm always like, do you guys have a good experience with pre-rolls? Cause I'm just sitting there like this shit sucks. I can't, <laughs> It and I just can't like I just can't I just personally I dislike it but I just viewed toured this facility roll pros in Vancouver Washington right outside of Portland, they have an automated machine that that, that replicates hand rolls instead of stuffing cones, and oh. uh, they were rolling some CBD flower that they're about to throw away and I was like hey can I just, I just want to I'll smoke the CBD just to see how it burns, and I was impressed with that that technology. Um, so there's an unsolicited unpaid shout out for Roll Pros right there. Yeah. Uh, but but you yeah, on the infused, I'm seeing some of the some of the craft companies have really been putting in or the top companies are really putting in R&D to make good products, you know, that really mix mixture good, like mix well, burn well and stay consistent because that's the issue. There's still the cheap garbage pre-rolls that are infused cuz then you have a real sexy THC percentage to slap on there. They sell high volume, but they're just not great products in my opinion. Mm. Um, But I think some people are really putting in the R and D to figure out like, what is the, how much hash or oil should we put in here to make the right, the right ratio? Cause I think that's a, you know, you put too much, it gets too ugly. And I'll never forget early on. I went to Denver and I reviewed this pre-roll or I didn't review, I smoked it and it had like shatter wrapped around it and it looked amazing but it dripped, man, it ruined my sneakers, man. It, like dripped on my Nikes and like, I could not get this oil off. And I was just, I was always like, I'm never buying one of those again, man. I just ruined like a hundred dollar pair of shoes with that pre-roll. So
0: that's what I've been hearing. The whole dripping thing is, is, is a problem. So, uh, and then I also hear heard with the pre-rolls and uh, that multi-strain pre-rolls are a big thing. So, so a pack, like a 12 pack, but multi-strain I don't know if that might be a canadian thing i, I forgot oh. where i heard this somebody talking about this but i it was the first time i just recently heard that and i thought oh that what a great idea multi-string pre-roll you know pack of pre-rolls and infused uh could be infused also but anyway so okay i can't believe we've been talking so long so i'm going to wrap it off because i know you're busy and who are the entrepreneurs that you're meeting and what are the challenge the biggest challenges that they're facing i'm sure i can guess but um, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we,
1: we've been real blessed to meet a lot of the, a lot of the founders and a lot of the, the, the people really making moves in this industry and defining this industry. You know, I think that the main issues are all, you know, all stemming from how to be profitable in such a low margin, highly competitive industry, um, how to scale, you know, cause that's another thing It's I mean, it's difficult to scale any business, but especially, something you know that has so much risk if you're a grower you have so much you know you, you lose a room to disease or it seeds yeah. out like you lose months of work and then it's like you can't just be like all right well we got more money because like you lose months of work and then you have to wait months more to get any sort of viable product to pay all your bills um so it's hard to just agriculture is hard in general especially with the plant so finicky so scaling is 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 difficult um Competing with this race to the bottom, you know, it's like we're going through phase in a couple areas where it's an oversupply, and you just see a ton of guys who are offloading product at whatever price they can just to get back some sort of investment. But obviously, that just crashes the price, um, and it makes and those guys are just trying to exit, trying to grab a piece to exit, but they're they're kind of tanking everyone on the way out. Um, you know, personally, what I what I don't think enough people are saying. Um, And in relation to a lot of these problems, I just don't think people are building brands or products people give a fuck enough about or able to communicate that. Because you look at any category of anything, um, there is a premium, there is a mid, and there is a low. And there is in wine, in baseball cards, in shoes, in concert tickets. There is your $5, your $10, and there is your $1,000 that also you have to get airfare and Hotel, You know, there are people spending thousands of dollars for stuff that people are also spending $10 for the similar feeling of experience. And, you know, in music, for example, just to use that correlation, because I'm from that, right? Like anyone can grab a microphone and a laptop and become a musician, upload their shit to Spotify really quickly. Um, Anyone could do that, you know? And just because you're doing that, nobody owes you anything, nobody has to like you, nobody has to license your music, nobody has to come to your show, you've got to build that following brick by brick, you've got to build those partnerships, you got to make people care, you have to have so many intangibles on top of an actual business plan or business model, and nobody owes you shit, maybe you make it, maybe you don't oh it sucks you came out but then Beyonce dropped something that took your whole vibe but she's Beyonce and what are you you're not going to compete with that you know it's like sucks to suck it is what it is and I think (laughs) in cannabis there's a lot of people that's like I got a license and I spent all my money and I'm not making any money I just don't get anywhere else where someone can feel so entitled and this is no disrespect to farmers because there are a lot of people losing their shirts and a lot of people that really Fought for this and try. I mean, I I definitely empathize with all of them. So, I mean, I'm not trying to be ignorant to that or insensitive to that. But also, when just speaking from the market or business as a whole, they simply do not give a fuck. I'm not saying I don't, but the market is going to like what it likes, rejects what it doesn't like, or certain things are not going to penetrate the market due to that person's own inability to penetrate. Their product was fine, their pricing was fine but their messaging, their branding, their placement, whatever, some other variable was unable to penetrate. Nobody owes you shit. Like what you command for your stuff. I know in every single market, I know brands that are sitting whining and complaining and crying. Like I can't sell my product. Nobody wants to buy my product. And I know somebody else in that market who's like, my shit sells for way more than everyone else. And I can't keep it in stock, you know? And it's like, it's not because they know some mythical gatekeeper or had some unfair advantage or were VC funded. A lot of these guys with the most money are the ones losing the most right now. It's mm-hmm. the people that just understand kind of enough variables and can penetrate the market. I think there's room for everyone. And I think a lot of the, the issues are in people's inability to do that. And they're wrapping it up and blaming it on all these other external factors. Cause I guess that makes it, you know, feel better, but I mean, it sucks and it hurts and I, I do want to be empathetic, but at the yeah. same time, you know, like, yeah. again, every market, any market with an oversupply problem, there's still brands in that market that are selling out to commanding a premium for their product with consumers lining up for their shit. And there's people out there that can't sell shit. And so it's like, it's not the whole market is trash. It's people haven't really figured out how to navigate that market properly.
0: Right. So why don't we just end with um, is there any brand out there that just pops in your mind that just you think is just killing it?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the obvious number one is like cookies, you know, they're like the biggest brand out there. And there's, you know, I got a lot of friends that will, when I say that, would, you know, there's muttering stuff under their breath. They might if they watch this, they'll text me and tell me I'm an idiot. <laughs> you, know? Uh, you know, a lot of people knock them, but I just look at how. What they've curated, the way they've set up their business model, they've integrated around IP, they've branded out around strains and flavors specifically, I just think it's just such a, so much foresight into where this industry is going to go. And like, they just knew that. And I just, I actually interviewed burner a few weeks ago. And a couple of the questions I asked him like, Hey, when did you know this? And when he said it in my mind, I'm like, yeah, right. You didn't know this back then, but (laughs) obviously taking a step back and look at their business model, like, well, shit, you did have a lot more foresight than any, you know, potentially anyone else in a lot of different regards. So I just really like, you know, whether you want to argue about their quality or this or that, I, I don't, I'm not here to entertain that, but what they've done from a brand, a packaging, and just a business model perspective, I think is just super, super admirable. I think Jungle Boys is another brand, again, I've had flour from them that was killer and some flour from them that I'm like, yeah, this is overpriced or whatever. Um, But from a brand perspective, how they're able to scale to new markets, super admirable. Um, I'm a big fan of it. Um, And then I like, you know, I like a lot of craft farms. So like, you know, in Washington, we got like uh, House of Cultivars, Scored, Tranquil Forest, some smaller craft ones that I just personally really like their product. In, in Oregon, there's like Archive, uh, Urban Canna, Resin Ranchers, uh, I think Nelson & Co. There's a couple grows down there, California, uh, you know, Cure Companies and one that I like a lot. Um and I just had laughing gas was it not the strain from cookies, but the brand down there. Their flour was unbelievable. Mm. Unbelievable. So I mean I don't know. I, I got I got brands that I'm a fan of of as a brand. And then can too. I'll throw can in the mix. Um and wild wild gummies. I just toured their facility, but their Learning more after I learned about it there. I like their product, but just their approach and their same thing, their model of how they're building out their business model. I just am a big fan of it. Can I'm a fan of they rolled out with that celebrity influencers in a way that just nobody else has. Oh, and no, they did a great job. I, just, I'm probably never going to buy a can or cons- I'm not the ideal consumer. But again, as a marketing nerd, I'm in, yeah. in complete awe of their what just they've done. Her-
0: just their copy, their language, their it's, they just captured it. Wow, thank you so much. It was really so fun to talk to you and um, learned a lot. I'm glad I got to know about Respect My Region and the North American tour and I, going to be following you now. Awesome. Thank you, Pam. Any, any, any
1: chance you give me to talk and rant about cannabis, man, I can definitely do so for as long as you would like. So.
0: Very cool. Okay. I wish you a lot of success and I'm going to be watching you guys and I'll talk to Joey tomorrow.
1: I'm humbled by that. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks for listening to today's show. Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong, available now at dopehistory.com.